Uh, g'day everybody, my name's Adam Draycott and you're watching the online ministry of St Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. This has been prepared for the 12th of December 2021, the third Sunday in Advent. That's right, it's the Christmas season. Our sentence of scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 30. O people in Zion who dwell at Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. The Lord will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. He will cause his majestic voice to be heard. Let us pray. Lord God, may we, your people, who look forward to the birthday of Christ, experience the joy of salvation and celebrate that feast with love and thanksgiving. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
As we come to the ministry of God's Word, please open your Bibles and turn to Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Psalm 82. And our preaching passage comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. Luke chapter 3. Verses 7 to 18. Now please take a moment to read that quietly to yourself. Make sure you read it out loud. That's a, a very good thing to do. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you and praise you that you speak to us by your spirit that illuminates your word and points us to the glory and wonder that is Jesus. And we pray that in our time of reading Luke's gospel this morning, uh, that you would indeed be at work in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, drawing us into a deeper relationship with you, that we might follow in the footsteps of Jesus and so glorify your precious name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to the text. I trust that you've read it. Luke chapter 3. The story seems straightforward, doesn't it? It's a doozy, isn't it? Crowds, they go looking for John for baptism, verse 7. John calls them a whole bunch of nasty names. Crowds wonder, oh, verse 15, oh, maybe he's the Messiah. <laughs> and in the middle, everyone's asking, what do we do? What do we do? And maybe we conclude, oh, what should we do? We might conclude we need to share our clothes. Verse 11, uh, don't rip people off. Verse 13, don't misuse power. Verse 14, job done, happy Sunday. Off you go, go do it, have a good day, all the best. But if good morals is the takeaway message today, it doesn't really change anything, I don't think. Try and try as we might. And what we'll actually do is we'll miss the epic change that is promised here in Luke chapter 3. For many reasons, change is what the crowds long for. They want things to change. And change is what many of us long for as well. I mean, what did Gladys Berejiklian, former Premier of New South Wales, headline news, I want my life to change. Maybe they're your words. Maybe you wish things were different. Dramas at work, problems at home. Maybe retirement, you've just, you're in, in retirement's just not what it's cracked up to be. Christmas plans. Well, these verses are verses we need and they're about monumental change. Uh, there are crowds. Look at verse 7 again. They're looking for John. They're looking for baptism. What do they get from John? John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, just to be sure, just to reassure you, we don't deal 
with baptism inquiries like that here at St Augustine's. Uh, it is a big sledge. A viper, you'll know, of course, it's a snake, an unclean animal. And John is saying strongly, rebellious Israel, you're a bunch of poisonous, unholy snakes. It's quite confronting. Isaiah 59 verse 5 describes God's enemies as vipers, snakes. He's basically saying, you guys are wicked. You're evil. Uh, you're God's enemies. But it gets worse. Can it get worse? Yeah, it does. Because he's actually saying you're like the first viper, the first snake. Far from being a descendant of Abraham, God's chosen people, nah, you're children of the devil. I think that's what John's saying. You're children of the devil. And actually, Jesus says something similar in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 44. So something's got to change. Something's got to give. Can it get any worse? And then you get a picture of an axe and a tree. Bad combination, if you're the tree. Verse 9, uh, where the axe is ready at the root of the trees. It's going to get cut off from its nutrients, its source of life, the roots. And every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is going to be cut down, thrown into a fire. Now, uh, this parallels... Isaiah's song of the vineyard where Isaiah's unfruitfulness results in her judgment. That's Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 to 7. Look it up if you want to. Again, something needs to change. I mean, John talks about fleeing from the coming wrath. So we go, well, how? Something's got to change. How do we flee from the coming wrath. Some people actually think when John says this, he's being ironic. I mean, who told you? Meaning that they're not actually looking to flee God's wrath, but they should be. A bit like the world at this point. Um, here, the guys think they're immune from God's wrath. Verse 8, because they're God's children, Abraham, all that. Whereas today... God's wrath. So it doesn't apply back then, their thinking. And today it doesn't apply because God's wrath is just fiction. Either way, God's wrath doesn't apply. Do you see it? But of course, the message of Christmas is important. I mean, did Christ come, born in a major? Why? To save. To save. We Implication, we need saving. John 3, 17 is very clear. He's come to save. To save us from our sin. To save us from our ungodly, unholy snakiness. And when he comes a second time, this thing we call evil, this thing we call the curse, with this thing we know as sin, and add to that death if you like. I mean, do you want things to change? And the answer, of course, is, yeah, of course we do. What are you talking about? So what do we do? Well, verse 10, what should we do? Verse 12, they ask, what should we do? Verse 14, what should we do? They're all asking this middle section, what, what do we do? John has a few suggestions. Verse 11, we've heard it. Share clothing, share food with those in need. Verse 13, if you're a tax collector, don't overtax 
Verse 14, soldiers, don't over-soldier. Don't be bullies. Don't misuse, misuse your power. Stop the self-love. Love your neighbour instead. I think we all read that and we see that. It's really just um, John extrapolating what he's already said in verse 8, where he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He's just making it concrete for them. Here's what repentance looks like. Stop the self-love, love your neighbour. Notice also verse 8, he's told them not to self-justify on account of Abraham. We've mentioned that already a little bit. He's basically saying don't rely on your ancestry as a means of being right with God. We heard that in Romans, didn't we? Change your mind. Repent. Turn around. And of course, John's after more than participation in a religious rite like baptism. And by their questions, they seem to get that too. It's not just about the water. John is saying, yeah, express your commitment to God. Come and get wet. Do business with God. But no, it means more than the H2O. Uh, it means a changed life. It means a changed outlook as we await the day of God's salvation, as it draws near. Change of direction away from worshipping self to worship of God. See, right now... I could ask you again, do you want change? And you'll go, yeah. And then I, as a pastor, I will ask, well, how's your relationship with God? You want things to change? Well, tell me about your relationship with God. What's that like? What does your heart love? What does your heart trust? And the answer, if we're honest, and if I'm honest, it's probably my profound ability to self-justify. And I don't think I'm that different to anybody else, to be honest. See, when was the last time we admitted that I'm wrong and you are right, Lord God? And that's the rub. Here's the rub. I mean, Israel are no better than snakes. They're a spectacular failure. They're God's enemies. Adam, he's no different. He's God's enemy too. He did what all of us do. There's nothing original about what Adam and Eve did. We do it every day. So what's got to give? What do we do? At this point, what changes? And the answer is, well, well nothing. Does anything change? I mean, we could sing with the Beatles. Um, I was watching the Beatles and uh, the chorus to one song. Nothing's going to change my world. Nothing's going to change my world. Um, in January 1969, you can watch John Lennon singing this, rehearsing this song with the band. The song is called Across the Universe. All across the universe. Da, 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 da. And then the chorus goes, Nothing's gonna change my world. Nothing's gonna change my world. The lyrics, I find the lyrics profoundly sad. They're stoic, they're depressing, they're so... There's just a sense of resignation about it all. And you know what happens if, while they're singing the chorus, I get this shock of my life because John Lennon cuts in with, I wish it beep, would, let's use the word blinking, I wish it blinking would. 
It's not that John Lennon's language, his bad language, is shocking. I mean, I, I, what? What did he say? Let's play that again. It's apparent that even John Lennon, as he sings this depressing song, wants his world to change. And that's striking because John Lennon, he's supposed to be the triumph of the modern man. According to him, the Beatles were bigger than Jesus, remember? <laughs> Rich, successful, creative, and they found their newfound Eastern spirituality. Remember that. And, and, and what is the sum total of all this for John Lennon? The, the, the modern man's triumph. What is the sum total? At the end of the world's rainbow, so to speak, for John Lennon, he's got nothing. He's got emptiness. Nothing's going to change my world. I wish it, Blinken would. John, John Lennon wanted his life to change. It's incredible. Gladys, she wants her life to change. Well, that's not so incredible. But don't we also? You want something to change. Verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly. They're all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah, because that's what you do when people call you a bunch of snakes. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, and he'll gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. We need the Messiah. We need Jesus. And this is the job of John the Baptist, is to prepare the way and to say epic change is coming. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He dresses like them. He speaks like them. He eats like them. He lives like them. He's the bridge between the old and the new. And he's the one that points physically to Jesus. And he says that the Messiah, I mean... John, all John can do is no more than baptise with water as a sign of cleansing and purification. But the Messiah, Christ, man, he's going to actually give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you the Spirit that will actually cleanse your heart and change you and make you a new person. Me, water. That's what John the Baptist says. But him... Man, Holy Spirit, that is epic. That is epic. I mean, John, all he can do is preach and call people to repent, to turn around and say, you've gone the wrong way, but Christ, he'll actually do something decisive. He'll actually carry this out. I mean, we, we understand this picture of the, the, the winnowing and the threshing, don't we? We know we, you put a header over a crop. The drum and the beta bars, they're going to do the threshing. Back in the day, after being cut, it's gathered into the barn, trodden out on what we call a threshing floor, trodden underfoot. The grain is separated from the stalk and the husk, and then it's all flicked up into the air in the breeze that uh, blows the chaff away. And the good stuff stays, lands on the floor. 
It's the act of separating and sorting. John could only talk about the separating and the sorting. He could only talk about being on the wrong side or the right side of the ledger, so to speak. But Jesus is actually going to do it. And John says, I've got nothing compared to this, the next guy, the Messiah. It's tying sandals, normally a Gentile slave's job. I'm not even worthy of that. John's going to say, the person we need is Jesus. Because when Jesus comes, the Spirit is going to follow. Now, the Old Testament predicted that God would pour out His Spirit on His people. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, it says, The Spirit is poured on us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field. See, there's fruitfulness and life there, and the fertile field seems like a forest. From a desert to a forest. That is transformation and change. Or Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27. God promises through the prophet that he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. And I put a new spirit in you. And I remove from you your heart of stone. That brick. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you. And I'll move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. Do you see what the spirit is going to do? The Holy Spirit is going to move God's people to live his way. To be his people. To be the people he's called us always to be. We can't do this on our own. On our own, nothing's going to change. We need God to intervene and to give us a heart, a new heart, a heart that doesn't love self, a heart that loves God. And as we love God, well, this loving your neighbour stuff, well, that's going to be easy. And that's Romans, isn't it? A love for God manifests in a love for others. And this is how we grow in Christ. Christ in me, by his Spirit, Epic change. Christ in me means that we learn from Jesus. As we learn from Jesus, we remember that Jesus is humble and that he is gentle and that he is the one that gives us rest for our souls. As we learn from Jesus, we remember, we come to the scriptures and we see him. The scriptures, God's word, the sword of the spirit, there it is again. And the Spirit flicks the light on. Maybe that happens when you heard Romans. The Holy Spirit flicks the light on and goes, yeah, I've got to change my mind about that. Like fire, it burns off the chaff of sin in our life. It purifies us. It cleanses us. It sanctifies us and grows us in Christ. So you want change. You want things to change. You want renewal. You can hope for the best. You could try self-help books. I actually think you should forget them and come to Jesus in God's word. And this is the miracle of Christmas. The Christ has come once to save. And now he's come to the Christian in a deep, personal way by his Holy Spirit. Our creator God 
as a deeply personal and intimate God who wants to give us life and joy. God dwells in man now. This is, this is the Christian message. And as he dwells in our hearts by his love, by the Holy Spirit, he reminds us how the depths of his love and the depths of his compassion and forgiveness, his very presence, Christ in you. See, on a personal level, you want something to change? Well, Jesus says, whatever it is, give it to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. That is the promise. Do you wrestle with repentance? Do you wrestle with even doing this? You know, I can't change. I'm a selfish so-and-so. Do you wrestle with that? Give it to Jesus. Do you wrestle with loving your neighbour? Give it to Jesus. But it's still even bigger than all of that. For as Christ dwells in the hearts of believers, Christ's work continues in us and through us as his church. We say to the world and we say to the community out there, God is present among us by his spirit in Christ Jesus. God is present among us. That's incredible. Which means that we bear a message of love and forgiveness that the world desperately needs. Nothing's going to change my world. <laughs> Man, Jesus did. Jesus changed the world. And Jesus has changed the world. And Jesus continues to change the world by his spirit through his church, through people like us of all people. And he'll do that until he comes again. Oh, come let us adore He is
for 